0: Welcome to Hero with a Thousand Potions, a gaming podcast where two 30-something gamers examine the storytelling and gameplay of popular niche RPGs. It's like a book club with chibi mascot creatures. This is season one, and we are talking about Xenoblade Chronicles Definitive Edition. My name is Tyler, and I'm joined by my friend Nate. We invite you to join us on this adventure by playing Xenoblade alongside these episodes where we will explore Xenoblade chapter by chapter. This episode we're getting into chapter 7. Nate, how are you doing tonight?
1: I'm doing well Tyler. So the whole internet has been talking about this game called Elden Ring. Have have you heard about this game Tyler? I've heard a lot about this game. Yeah I'm hearing a lot of this is the greatest game ever. You absolutely must play it. It's like Dark Souls meets Breath of the Wild, I don't know if that's an apt comparison, but I've been very intrigued, I want to play it. But then I remember, I'm terrible at Souls games, so I, I did a little bit of research and I I have a copy of Bloodborne that I got for free for the PlayStation, for being a PlayStation Plus member, and I booted it up, and I of course died a bunch, but I dedicated myself to trying to live the Souls-like lifestyle, and does that does that count for an actual from software game that it's a Souls like or is it just a Souls game? I don't know. I don't know. I, I've put a, a couple hours into it now, and I'm noticing I'm not dying as much, and I'm actually dodging certain things or walking a little bit more contemplatively up to certain enemies and places. I was getting killed before. I'm not getting killed as much anymore. So. There might be hope for me yet, and there might be some Elden Ring in my future.
0: I think walking up to a threatening monster contemplatively is not a very uh, big power move right there, Nate.
1: Yeah,
0: I don't know. I think you got to walk up to a monster and be like, I'm going to wreck your shit.
1: That's true. So that's been the kind of interesting plot point of my week so far. (laughs) Since the last episode we recorded,
0: in my case, I finished Earthbound Beginnings. I've got this travelogue side quest idea mulling around in my head. I have 41 pages of notes uh, that I'm going to crunch, and I'm going to create some sort of mini series on it. I'm looking forward to getting down and dirty with that. It was a it was a fun fun game, and also a very grindy game.
1: Looking forward to hearing about it instead of experiencing it myself. Hell yeah! So Tyler, as we get into this. new chapter i am noticing there is no intro so to speak there is no exposition dump telling us what we must do or where we must go so i take the opportunity to take a little hop back to colony six in our last episode you said you had tried out the reconstruction effort i was side quested out at that point so i did not try the reconstruction effort as i get to colony six i start talking to some Locals, and there's a quest to try and rebuild the colony, build some buildings, make some commerce happen, various modes of improvement. One of the denizens tells me, you can't dig up the land and erect buildings willy-nilly. It's like wounding the Bionis' body and rubbing salt into the wound. And I'm thinking about how this entire town was built on top of a giant fucking drill in the ground that sucks up the energy from within the planet. We talked about this in the Mines chapter, how this is like nightmare late stage capitalism destroying the very world you live on. But now this guy won't let me build a 7-Eleven.
0: Maybe they consecrated that ground where the drill was installed
1: yeah so i'm going to get this like special stone to do this ritual to appease bionis what the hell did they do to get that drill built like how many years of stones and rituals and appeasement did they go through to finally approve that thing
0: maybe you know there's a very enterprising uh mechanical civilization just across the way over there yeah maybe they had a hand
1: but anyway i do that quest i end up building three houses but no more than that because i don't have any more wolf hides to make the houses out of apparently Mm. Uh, a few shops a tree suddenly i am surrounded by architecture as i turn around there's there are buildings there are people there are various things now occupying the once desolate rubble scape that i walked upon just a a few minutes before while i'm talking to people and questing uh, i have a question here for you Okay. Tyler, as a kid, did you ever flail around fighting imaginary bad guys with an imaginary sword to the total embarrassment of your parents?
0: Probably. I can i can see myself doing that but i don't have a specific memory
1: as i engage in dialogue with citizens of colony six that is exactly what dunbin is doing as a villager speaks to him of their <laughs> woes he is he is flailing an imaginary sword against imaginary enemies it reminds me uh, as a child there was this is a little bit of a tangent but i think it's it's a formative moment in my life there was a uh, local arcade those are they used to exist back in the day for the kids listening where they would have giant boxes that housed video games and you'd have to put in a quarter. Now that's a quarter. That's a coin, which is 25% of $1. You'd put that quarter in and you could play a video game for a few minutes until you lost. So we had one of those at our local mall and my mom worked at the mall at a furniture store attached to it. So she would send me off to the arcade. You weren't like murdered or abducted automatically the second you left your parents eyesight back in the 90s i would go visit my mom and she'd say yeah run across the mall all by yourself eight year old and play at the arcade so i would go and they had a cabinet for street fighter and super street fighter 2 ryu would just stand there in the darkness as lightning struck and he would eventually charge up a hadouken and he would then throw that hadouken at the screen and eight-year-old nate would throw that hadouken back at him
0: hell yeah
1: audibly u- using the using my body and my mouth I would throw the fireball with my hands and I would say the words out loud and one time I embarrassed my sisters so completely by doing this in the arcade they were I, I could just see the cringe on their face and they told me to be quiet a few minutes later my uh, sister was horrified at the sight of Cammy's ass cheeks oh no as she did her victory pose Cammy hey, perfect so it was uh, a formative experience to meet the the childhood flailing And I relived that for just a moment as I watched Dunbin do the same thing.
0: And a sexual revolution as well.
1: Yeah, we were getting there. I was pretty close.
0: (laughs) Uh, Astonishing memory,
1: Nate. Thank you for sharing. Yes. To to wrap up Colony 6, I'm yet again playing matchmaker for Ewan and Matroya, delivering messages and works between the two of them as they stand within earshot of each other. Amazing. I am their messenger. (laughs) I am their matchmaker. I don't know what they would do without me. Maybe they would just be forced to have an actual conversation conversation together as as they're like facing one another in some of these instances I finally i did the quest to go behind immovable gonzalez yes but I, at first i just thought you know hey maybe i can just run by him right the instant you aggro him time stops and you receive a warning of imminent doom <laughs> that somebody is going to die very soon and that happens even without shulk in the party they will tell you a uh, vision from the future hey you're you're gonna die yes so
0: Uh, I had to
1: actually do the quest correctly. I could not cheese it, so to speak.
0: You actually attempted to walk around that guy. That is is bold.
1: Yep, yep, I did. So that is my colony 6 so far.
0: So I went back to colony 9 and did a little more questing there. Spoke with a gem forger and he gave me a quest in relation to colony 6. He says if you can upgrade all of colony 6's community subcomponents to level 1, I will give you this portable gem forge. And so I did and then I got the portable gem forge and now my my menu has upgraded to include a new selection in that navigation bar to gem forge straight from the menu.
1: Oh, that's cool. I did not know about that. I did go back and forge some gems, but it must have been before I had made any progress in the Colony 6
0: aspect. Mm -hmm. I think you need to upgrade your reputation in Colony 9 to unlock the quest uh, first. All right, so let's get back into it here. As Nate said, um, I think for the first time in this game, a chapter begins with no cutscene. Here we are at Machna Forest, M-A-K-N-A, Machna Forest. According to the Bionis map, we're at about the back area. It's described as a humid subtropical forest. Um, We enter the zone through a narrow pass, and we can see a colossal tree way in the distance. It's absolutely enormous.
1: Last chapter, I mentioned the framing of that shot as we walk through the arcway to... Have our camera forced upward towards the statues? If you remember that, mm-hmm. this time they also frame the shot of this tree very well by having the rocky crag you are proceeding through create a vertical letterbox, so that you're forced to have this thing be at the center of your screen.
0: Yeah, at night there are hearth fires glowing in the tree, and you can see it from this distance. It's pretty neat.
1: This has like a kind of cradle of creation feeling to it and Mm -hmm. you might get into that more when you start talking about some of the monsters and sites we have here but if you need a little bit of a reference here for comic book people in x-men there is the savage land it is a area in antarctica which is like an experimentation place where dinosaurs still exist and uh, what's the word the the flora and fauna run rampant at, at a evolutionary scale that we don't see in our typical world. And I think also if you guys play Warcraft, you might remember Ungoro Crater or Sholazar Basin, similar places kind of. Cut out of their local ecosystem, just wild with growth and vegetation and all forms of life exploding out from this area. So if that kind of gives you a little bit of an idea, if you're not playing along with us, that's what we're dealing with here. It's not just a jungle, it's a vibrantly alive jungle where every inch of it has some sort of vegetation or life or water flowing monster strolling about kind of situation.
0: Certainly. Yeah. There, there are mega flora here and mega fauna here. Uh, you're, you're absolutely right to describe it as like a primordial forest. It's called Macna forest, but it is as much a jungle as it is a forest. Isn't a jungle just a type of forest? I mean, there are deciduous trees here. There are palm trees here.
1: I think by definition, every jungle is a forest, but not every forest is a jungle.
0: I'm into that Venn diagram. Sounds good. Sure. Um... So the party moves forward through this crag, we see that tree, and then uh, we're taken away on a cutscene. This cutscene doesn't take place in front of us, it takes place elsewhere, but I didn't realize that this didn't take place in front of us until it was all over. Things start moving very, very fast. A blue, I don't know, Hydra, a three-headed flying creature screams and comes crashing into what I thought was our immediate area. there are three armored humanoids that kind of oppose it. One says, Lady Melia, return to the Nopon village. We'll handle this. And these soldiers are wearing armor that kind of look like the high-end statues we saw in Satoru Marsh. They have winged headdresses, and their helmets have faceplates that look like birds' beaks. And the woman, who's dressed in robes, she's kind of like a young priestess or mage, it's hard to tell, says, no Aizel. Aizel is apparently this soldier's name. Do you really believe I would run away and save myself? They urge her to change her mind and she rebuffs them says no i cannot return to the capital with this monster still standing so this squad is monster hunting one thing
1: i'm noticing about this in our past cutscenes with shulk we've we've gotten a vision of this character melia right i think we can make that connection that we recognize her from the flashback oh yeah and then we've also got a uh, you know, we're, we're just going to make some we've made a lot of deep calls here on this of what we think is happening or going to happen or who's doing what. So in that cutscene, I see a big old dude that something something emperor, you know, the emperor and Fiora were wronged by metal face. And we see a big regal old dude. I'm going to say maybe he's the emperor. Right. But he has those kind of bird wings on his head as well. And now we've got these guards with bird wings on their heads. We've got statues from the High Entia of angelic figures with wings and things like that. I'm gonna go with, if you see somebody with a bird wing on their head, we're looking at a High Entia. Similarly, Melia has two protruding fixtures on her headpiece that would seemingly be, if they were just cloth, they would drape a little bit lower and more freely. I'm gonna guess that those pieces of cloth are concealing bird wings as well
0: yeah could be she's the only one in the squad that isn't revealing bird wings from her head uh the hydra lands breathes purple energy at the squad and melia exclaims "Isil, hogard garan damiel i don't think this is a spell i think these are people's names she says bestow the light of your life unto me did these people die and now she's taking their life force to cast a spell. She raises her staff into the air and casts a spell. White magic. I'm getting a holy vibe from it. Don't know what happens next. We cut back to the party. And then I realize, oh, this is not happening right in front of me.
1: Yes, and the other observation I'll make about the Hydra-like enemy they're fighting there's a similar design language going on there with what little we saw of the Telethia in the prior chapters before Satoral Marsh. So there is some speculation on my part that we are going to be dealing with the Telethia here based on the scene we just witnessed. But previous encounter with Telethia gave me the impression that there was some sort of benevolent force within Bionis.
0: And it doesn't look like the other Telethia.
1: So as we, the party, arrive in the forest, like you said, it's a different location than where that cutscene just took place. We receive another round of basically the exact same vision that Shulk's been having ad nauseum recently, which is metal face, him injecting the Monado with Viagra and just getting fucking huge Monado energy and uh, <laughs> then we ha- we hear that line, the Emperor and Fiora all that, you know, it's the same it's the same, we're, we've been talking about Xenovision Edvision of Edition.
0: It's hitting us on the head so hard with the same these same sequence of events that uh, we're, we can just laugh about it now
1: We call this anime filler, I've totally talked about this in an episode before but i'll say it again the show naruto it's on netflix if you want to subject yourself to this there's a character who he doesn't have all the skills as the other ninja and he ends up hurting himself because he's trying too hard and he needs surgery etc and they just pad the runtime of like 12 episodes you have to re-watch this segment of his past of him like struggling through being a shitty ninja for probably i I i'll just take a liberal guess and say 12 repetitions of the same scene have played through in this one season of the show and i'm just like dear god stop showing it to me i'm drawn back to that moment of that show when i see them replay the end game vision for shulk as we continue in the forest we meet our what's seemingly now the obligatory nopon greeting party to the zone and we learn that this is where Nopon are from. There are Nopon everywhere in honest, but if they had a homeland, a source, so to speak, that Machna Forest is it. We come to the conclusion that with this being their land, that we should probably go to the nopon village because they're going to be able to help us navigate the region get to where we need to go we're seemingly completely lost even though dixon earlier gave us this 20 point guide on what we needed to do next and like i said i've i felt like that was going to be the rest of the game dixon's whole outline of what we needed to do we now got to the forest and there's this general sense among the party of wait where do we go what do we do huh Shoot. I guess let's talk to the nopon or something because I don't know where I'm going. (laughs) So, you know, uh, cool. I, I'm into it. Well, let's meet some Nopon. That first group of Nopon I meet, it also has the Genocide King, as I'll call him. He wants to eradicate all organic life in the media area because he, <laughs> uh, he's a little dude and there are all sorts of nasty monsters around. And so I think I got like five quests from him to just murder everything. Mm-hmm. That's a st- staple of each zone, too is getting the kill-everything quest the second you walk through the
0: door. He's a bloodthirsty nopon indeed. These nopon are hanging out at the Agni tablet, which is just another waypoint to teleport around uh, the map here. Um, But it also is a vantage point to, to give us a beautiful scope of what this zone really looks like. There's a centerpiece feature that we're looking at here. It's called Great Machna Falls. And uh, this tablet is on a cliff and it looks down over this large lake. And on the far side of this lake is almost a complete horizon of waterfalls at different heights. It's kind of analogous to Iguazu Falls, um, which you might have heard of. It's on the border of Argentina and Brazil. It's a complete eyeful of gorgeous waterfalls and we're treated to that here now there isn't that much to do uh in this lake i did kind of path around it and almost fell asleep trying to circumnavigate it just to see if i can pick up anything clever or run into any elites i think there is an elite out there but regardless um it's a beautiful vista that you'll be checking out when you arrive at these pond here um, i'm going to take a moment to kind of explain a little bit more of the zone how it's laid out here so um in the southwestern corner is great machina falls and then the lake empties out a river in the north east corner of it, and there's a huge ravine on both sides that we can explore by these rope bridges. At the end of the river is another waterfall, but this one we can presume descends down perhaps to Satoru Marsh into those those statues that we saw in the previous chapter. But farther east of this river is where we will continue um, traveling. According to our map, we can see that there's more zone there's more jungle east of the river here and uh, that'll be the direction we will be heading but the first things first we have to cross these rope bridges
1: so tyler as i'm looking around in this area like you said there's the big waterfall there's a tree i taking in my surroundings and i it's starting to occur to me like oh that cliff way down there, like oh there's monsters walking around there i can actually go down there there's stuff to do there oh there's a beach down there i can go there And my video game brain, I'm constantly waiting for the invisible wall to kick in. We've all experienced it where you're like, that isn't actually in the game, that's just a picture. I'm watching a video of a waterfall, right? Hmm. I swim directly up to the waterfall and I immediately have this crisis in my mind of, am I gonna have to swim up and down this entire thing to find the secret? Cave under the waterfall that is in every single video game known to man, the secret waterfall cave. I gave up, (laughs) it was taking way too long, and I could not find the secret waterfall cave. There might be one, I'm not gonna google it. Who knows? I didn't find it, yeah, but I was blown away how every time I went somewhere in this zone, there was no invisible wall, there was just walls. I also talked to the merchant here quick and I'm just so overwhelmed with my inventory at this point that there is an L button, a sell everything button. Have you used this, Tyler? Nope. Maybe I should, though. So you just hold L, and it sells everything that is not currently on your body. In other games, when... It comes to this type of thing i hold on to all my gear because i think well what if what if there's a scenario where for xeno gears for example it's like what if there's a scenario where i need to stack ether defense and then put ether amplification onto this character so that they can do the crazy one-shot move because no one else can do any damage to this fucker right like i'm holding on to every single piece of gear like it it's the most important thing I finally just broke down with this game and said sell everything dump it all and i hold down the l button and just cash out right because i know ultimately i'm gonna go beat up a bird and he's gonna drop three pairs of pants with 17 higher defense than what i currently have so <laughs> it's basically self-care at this point to get rid of all this garbage in my bags and i come out of it 265,000 g richer for doing so holy crap yeah, it was crazy.
0: I'll say a little bit about the uh, beasts we run into here in this zone. Uh, we run into Apis, which are dragonfly type monsters with lime green wings, occasionally carrying, I don't know, a boulder and has two unnatural looking pink discs that sprout from its thorax. Um, we run into Eluca, which are a scaled caterpillar. They're enormous and menacing. They kind of look like rhinoceroses in a way, but they have bright blue horns coming off its head and bright blue spikes on its back we run into more quad wings those are of course the four winged owls we saw in the marsh we run into ferris which are 10 foot tall lions with several jagged cobalt horns sprouting out of its mane more spikes coming off of its elbows and the end of its tail has two spiked clubs we run into Dinos, D-E-I-N-O-S, of the Plasma and Inferno variety. They are about 20 foot tall white and gray raptors with a small crystal fin or magma fin on its back shooting electricity or lava, and they each have a baby version of it clinging to the top of its head. I don't know if this is a baby, or if this is dimorphism, or that's just the male. Uh, either way, the smaller creature is growing into its jaws. It is, it's like 50% jaws, this smaller guy. Um, we run into Ancels, which are a yellow prehistoric bird, like an Archaeopteryx, um, with a spiky orange mohawk and a swordfish-like beak. brogs, those are frogs, but this time they're absolutely enormous and scary-looking. Uh, we run into Terrix P-T-E-R-I-X, which are like Pterodactyls, but this one is level 97. Stay away. Paranax, which are piranhas. More upas. Farther along in the eastern area, uh, we run into Orlugas, which are these hulking green humanoids whose arms are made for crushing. They're like knuckle draggers, but they're huge. But the knuckle dragging appendages aren't fists. They're like elephant stompers. Mm, Yeah. And some of them have an anxious or disturbed expression on their face. It's kind of creepy.
1: They seem to be enslaved (laughs) by another beastman race called the Hode. Hode. Am I saying that right?
0: Hode or Hode? Hode, yeah. If this is a Japanese game, I think you'd go hode. Yeah. Like if it was spelled out in katakana mm-hmm. or hiragana. Yeah, jungle Jawas. Jawa. I was, the whole time I wanted
1: to say sand people and I'm like, that's wrong. That's not what it is. It's a the Jawa. They're Jungle Jawas. There's a lot of Star Wars going on in this episode. I This is a little bit later. Our, our, we're kind of out of order here, but hey, who cares? Mm-hmm. You're, you're totally seeing Ewok land, right?
0: It is. I mean, they lived in treetop towns and yeah.
1: Pro-gamer tip do not start a fight at the end of a tree branch
0: my chain attack
1: was a cinematic look at dunbin delivering a powerful strike followed by ryan falling off the tree and running away because you can't control them they will run up to the target except the target is now halfway across the map because you fell off the tree
0: Mm, yeah that's not helpful at all there are also enormous triceratopses called lake lit mammoths there are enormous T-Rexes called dinosauros and there are X they are tall teal colored horses with a big bony horn that curves away from its face and then has another bony horn that curves away from its butt in a like symmetrical sort of way. That's kind of the bestiary here, but we don't we run into the first half of them here and then the second half when we cross the river.
1: Yeah, can we talk about dinosauros quick? Sure. <laughs> like I I feel like if I ever get into the realm of writing fantasy that I need to circumnavigate the pitfall of naming things the same name but just adding syllables because instead of dinosaur you have dinos and it's just it's more work than it's worth let's just call it a dinosaur
0: the the soros is spelled exactly like george soros's surname
1: (laughs) yes that dinosaur
0: soros
1: (laughs) Uh uh-huh and it's it's uh i don't know like that That thing just existed to piss me off. I was in the middle of a quest, and it aggroed into one of Ryan's AoE moves, and it was just over at that point. I was like, come on. Mm -hmm. Why is this thing here? Just to be right in the smack dab middle of what I'm trying to do.
0: I had a quest for an X-Elite and a Dinosauros kept walking into my fight. Yep. A level 97, I don't know. Like it's, he, end, he ends your quest in the way you don't want.
1: Oh, and you get to watch the eight second cutscene of Blue Vision, you're about to die when it happens. So that's, that's fun, too. fun too. found a little secret area called the Divine Sanctuary what? where that is... Did you find this? Maybe. Where is it? Well, it's part of a quest where you throw a memento off a cliff for Satata.
0: Oh, yeah. I Okay, yes. I found this place. It's
1: overlooking the waterfall? Yeah. I, I, th- I throw the memento over the cliff, and then I also throw Sharla off the cliff with a light brush against her, since her falling thousands of feet below.
0: You gave her that shower. I could really do with a shower right now.
1: Y- exactly. Perfect. Yes, she's been asking for a shower. She will not take that shower. So I finally just took the initiative and threw her into the waters below. Alright, so as we get deep enough into the forest, we find Melia passed out. Doesn't know who we are, but Shulk recognizes her for who she is. Long story short, Sharla, the medic, deems Melia to be ether deficient. She is passed out from a lack of ether in her system. We will learn why a bit later. But it it pulls Shulk into a quest due to the fact that I don't even think she would need to be a part of Shulk's visions just by Shulk's nature and character. He would want to help a fellow humanoid pass out on the side of the road, but there's an extra degree of importance here due to the fact that he recognizes her. Dulk is prompted to take on a solo quest to gather water ether to help Melia recover from her current deficiency. Ryan, being the genius that he is, asks Sharla if she's gonna shoot her with a gun of water ether.
0: I'll load the crystals into a cartridge to shoot from my rifle. Hey, you, You're gonna shoot her? No, silly. I'll fire them
1: into the air and the dispersed ether will heal her.
0: Ah. Um, that's what I thought.
1: I understand the bucking up of the ideas. It's making more sense now. Cause we're we're getting more and more hints of Ryan saying dumb stuff. I wasn't picking up on it before, but now that Dixon kind of clued me in, I'm seeing it too.
0: Ryan is big dum-dum this episode. You mean go on in this heat? I'm sweatier than a brog's armpit.
1: So, Shulk goes on his little quest, so he takes me to the beach I previously visited. I had a nice little warp point waiting for me.
0: Shulk goes alone, by the way. It's a little suspicious.
1: Well, it's a little plot armor. You're, you know, plot, maybe not plot armor, what's the word?
0: Plotentious?
1: Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like pretentious? The, the plot demands it. We wrote the ending before we wrote the action. Yeah, okay. And uh, so, there's they, they do give it an excuse, because Ryan's got to watch the camp, and the. Dunbin's gotta, you know, polish his blade. I'm making this up, but, you know, you get the idea. Shulk goes goes it alone. I have a nice little warp point to the beach, so it's not that perilous of a journey anyway. So we meet Elvis, or Alvis, I guess. How unusual. It is quite rare
0: to see a Homs in this region. I suppose you're wondering why I am here in that case. Then permit me to introduce myself. My name is Alvis. Alvis? Um, my name's, it's Shulk.
1: And there's two things that I'm going to point out about Alvis. We, this is the guy we've seen before. He,
0: he's the guy in the dream. He's the guy uh, with the telethia in two chapters ago.
1: Yeah, and at the end of the sequence, I have a new name for him. If Shulk, if Shulk is the Monado boy, then Alvis is the Monado bro. <laughs> he's, the, he's the Monado big brother. He knows all, like, you know how... You didn't have a big brother. You, you were the big brother.
0: You, I am the big brother. And neither
1: did I. I didn't have a big brother. But you know how in media, the big brother, he knows all the cool stuff, right? hmm So if Shulk is Monado boy, this is Monado bro. He knows all the cool shit about the Monado.
0: Monado edge lord.
1: Yeah. Now, we talked about this in another episode too, but uh, what was hanging around his neck, Tyler?
0: I probably have a note on that. Let me see. Look
1: it up. I want to see if you saw it. Do you want me to give you the answer?
0: Yeah, give the answer. I don't have it.
1: I believe that- Wait, I do
0: have it. Okay, go. Sorry, I I finally found it. There's a close-up of a pendant on him. It's a red cross with a gold outline. Do you see what I'm seeing? Are are you suggesting it's the cross from
1: Xenogears? I'm suggesting that is the Zohar right there.
0: Oh, that's the Zohar? Oh my goodness.
1: Yeah, because- think about it that the shape of the original zohar and then we got the little zohar like key card in xeno saga you're probably not as familiar with
0: that one okay oh you know what oh man you see it i do see it it is tablet like it doesn't have like the all-seeing eye in it but it is no all right okay i don't know why that didn't come to me in the moment but yeah, it is it is very Zohar like.
1: I'm telling you, you know, they've officially said these games are not linked. We're not going there. We're not conspiracy theorists. But I like to point out that shared design language, that legacy woven between the series i i love that kind of stuff
0: we'll probably continue making those connections all the way to the end
1: yep so all shows up he's wearing weird anime pants that make no <laughs> sense uh he's got us a, a new monado power i'm just gonna call it disenchant it's called purge purge when you're playing an rpg and the enemy has a buff and you want to say no get the fuck out of here
0: yeah it's a dispel yeah
1: dispel that is the word i i wasn't even right with disenchant so, perfect. You fixed it for me. No worries. Telethia are here and not as helpful as they were before, right? Mm-hmm. I thought Telethia, angelic, bird-like, you know, protectors when we first saw them back in that previous chapter. Mm-hmm. But now, I- I'm almost certain now that a big Telethia attacked Melia at the our first little cutscene there, mm-hmm. and now smaller Telethia are attacking Shulk. Apparently drawn to the wavelength or frequency of the Monado, as Alvis puts it. The boys fight together, but Shulk has issues attacking the Telethia. The problem is, is that they can read his mind, so even if Shulk receives a vision and changes the Telethia can see that he's going to change, and they change, and it's a vicious cycle. So Alvis takes up the Monado himself and uses that purge move to uh, get rid of that ability from the Telethia. The fight concludes. The Telethia are dispatched. Shulk has questions, and Alvis has vague nothings in response. There wasn't anything pertinent you took from what he said, right?
0: The pertinent things I take from him is that he knows stuff. When Elvis introduces himself, he's mysterious and sexy if you're into that sort of thing he goes you know shulk you're the wielder of the monado defender of colony nine the hero that has all mechon running he's he's dressing up shulk uh telling him that he knows uh he knows about him, he knows a lot about him and hey he knows how to wield the monado too he teaches shulk a new skill maybe he's doing a Groff thing where graf is like i'm sculpting phase powers by throwing these challenges at him the Manado. Is a divine sword capable of disturbing the very fabric of existence of both the material and the immaterial is that
1: a little monologue of his kind of tongue in cheek poking fun at shulk because uh, he has all mech on running but here's this guy who knows more about the monado who more capable in combat is it kind of like a oh yeah here's the wonderful monado boy here he comes I'm literally coming to a point that I did not have in my notes and that just occurred to me, right? You I I completely, I didn't jot down the dialogue and I completely I'm making a connection now. The material and immaterial, the disturbing of reality, the manipulation going on. What does that sound like to you? Disturbing of reality? What 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 certain object have we dealt with before that has a has a like reality warping effect to it, you know, the magic credit card. Yeah, exactly. So I'm, I'm going back to, that. I think that's again, this is, uh, what's the, this is reinterpretation of a similar same story. We're on reinterpretation number three now, or maybe it's two because the first one isn't a reinterpretation, but we're on version three of this story. And you know, the, the, the true source of power for the Xeno Gears was an object that had the power to change reality as we knew it. So now instead of Xeno Gears, we have Xeno Swords. Ryan busts in, Alvis is gone. Ryan thinks we're nuts. We were just sitting on the beach having a wank by ourselves. Uh, there's no one here. I'm telling you, he was right here. He even taught me how
0: to unlock a new power from the Monado. Just you and me, Shulk. Ain't no one else around. You probably passed out from dehydration and dreamt this guy up. Come on, wait till the others hear this. (laughs) He was here, Ryan. I didn't dream it, I'm not lying. Okay, okay, I believe you. And while you were having fun with your imaginary friend, did you find any ether crystals?
1: But the game doesn't leave you, the player, to question whether that was a vision in its head at all because Elvis is standing on a rock watching the other two walk away.
0: It is astonishing to me that Ryan thinks the story is unbelievable that gaslighting motherfucker
1: hang around here long enough and we'll get whacked by an imaginary beast (laughs) yes it's kind of like the thing of you know people say oh that's unrealistic to have this happen in your story and it's like you're in a world of magic and insanity Why are we talking about realism here? It's like, Ryan, come on. You got a guy who's seeing visions of the future. He's slowing down time, warping, creating shields, all sorts of shit. And he says, hey, I just saw a guy. And Ryan's like, no, no, you did not just see a guy. Get the fuck out.
0: Ryan must be, like, suffering from a brain tumor. (laughs) A couple uh, uh, chapters ago, he's like, I have all the confidence in the world in Shulk and you know, you believe him and believe in yourself and I'm going to believe in you too. And he even goes out of his way to explain uh, the nature of Shulk's visions to other people that are not buying into it. And now, now we're here. And he's just like, you saw another person on a beach in the forest. Impossible. Exactly. So we do find the water crystals and we take it back to Sharla and Melia and Dunban.
1: We resurrect Melia. She informs us of her quest to take down the big tilethia right Mm -hmm. and she says how her comrades were slain by it and it's it's a whole thing i we offer to help her on her quest we're trying to get to the nopon capital she can get us there we can kind of all reconvene and assess next steps together it's the least she can do for us helping her
0: and then Melia joins the party Melia is a young woman with silver bangs and locks that curl like a fruit roll-up above her shoulder. Uh, She wears a pink, white, and gray priestess dress skirt, a pink and white cloak that comes with semi-attached sleeves that conceal her arms but open up at the wrist, revealing white shoulder-length gloves. Under the cloak, she wears a white, purple, and light blue mini dress cut well above the knee, black knee socks, and stylish black and white fold-over boots with light blue accents. Her weapon of choice is the staff. She's a mage. She has electricity and fire spells, a healing over time spell, a sleep spell, a bind spell which roots people in place.
1: The transmog system will not let me remove her hat. Yeah, there are definitely bird wings under there. Calling it right now. Oh, sure. Oh,
0: that's that's why, huh? I never thought about that
1: yeah because if you go if you go with the beach outfit she's totally gonna show you her bird wings under there so I'd say let me put another hat on top of her existing hat what's the problem game come on mm-hmm. we finally get to Nopon land as we continue through the jungle
0: we're prompted with a new battle mechanic um, monsters with spike abilities um, these automatically damage and inflict debuffs on party members in certain situations and cannot be circumvented unless you use Purge.
1: As Melia is rescued, she leads the way. It's kind of self-explanatory. We would have explored this jungle in the same way anyway, but we cross more rope bridges. We finally arrive to that giant tree that was framed at the beginning of the chapter, and it is... It's a lot. There are several pathways leading our way to the tree that are rope bridges with wooden platforms linked together that carry us over a sea of monsters that are much higher level than us. As I greet one of the Nopon along the rope bridges, he says, Nopon never lie, so it's definitely safe (laughs) to walk on the rope bridges all the way up to the nopon capital of the tree what was the name of the tree again frontier village so as we carry our way through i, I am struck by how this is ewok land this is endor right or the moon of endor i get
0: i was never clear is it
1: endor or is it the a moon of endor
0: I recall someone saying the forest moon of Endor. The
1: forest moon of Endor. I wonder have we actually ever seen Endor? Great question. This is a bit of a Star Wars tangent I'm on now. So, we we know what the moon of Endor looks like, but is Endor itself equally forested? Probably not. Anyway, we make it to Frontier Village and it is it is a sp- sprawling vertical metropolis of foresty creatures i ascend tiers of Nopon society and every five seconds i'm discovering a new location to the point where all three of my characters leveled up just from discovering locations as i ascended the tree to my objective
0: we're in the enormous tree there are about 12 levels to it the Nopon predominantly live inside the tree the tree is kind of hollowed out and um, there are little Hobbit house or or like gnome houses built into the side of the interior of the tree Um, There's a gathering area in the bottom center. There's a there's the elder hut at the very top These levels are joined by staircases and rope bridges as well. Uh, They're very industrious here Um, They collect and process pollen orbs which illuminate the village from inside the tree They were probably the hearth fires we saw in the distance and these pollen orbs have other secret applications that the Nopon are withholding from us. Also at the very very top of the tree is a lake called Apex Lake. It's not as big as the other lake we saw in this zone. It's a it's it's a pond. It's not a lake. It is a hallowed magical place.
1: As we arrive the chieftain of the nopon village here dunga yeah he greets melia by calling her bird lady yes <laughs> again we've already talked about it we got bird wing hair so 100 confirmed there is some bird wing hair underneath that hat
0: several nopon gather hum 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 here hum here hum who hum who hum hum everywhere me want touch hum hum me want nibble hum 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 taste Hum, hum, oh. They're joyful and enthusiastic and curious and stupid and interesting. You know, um, they're like little, little puppy dog voices.
1: My favorite is the one who every time you talk to them, they greet you with "Yes, no." <laughs> so me, me being the completionist that I am, I, I've added about fifteen side quests by just arriving at this location i think in 2010 this game was taking final fantasy 13's linearity to court and pronouncing death by guillotine because (laughs) these quests are taking me everywhere to every inch of a sprawling circular winding twisting arriving back at itself countless times i am lost and refinding what I need to do zone of wooded forestry insanity
0: yeah I think I went up and down those levels several times and and that's in addition to the teleporting we can do within it
1: and I'm talking about the the, the area outside too oh, for sure quest yeah. to where they're taking me there is another murder fest that they are happy for me to take part in yes no <laughs> it's highlighting for me how wildly inconsistent quest tracking is in this game. Some quests I'm not tracking show their objectives right on the map, others don't. Some items have a nice little red glow to them to show there that they are indeed objectives, others just randomly are. Some are if you put some will only appear to you if you track them specifically, if you set them to being a tracked quest, and then others you'll get a nice little cutscene that says you're going to need this one for later. So that's mildly annoying to me as somebody who likes organization and whose job as as i've mentioned before ui and usability so these are things that bug me and i think about all day of how i would make them better so just something to think about there
0: i'm gonna add one more factor to that too um you can accept a quest You can complete the requirements of the quest, but there's a chance you may not be able to turn in the quest because you don't have enough reputation in the city you're in. And that's what I ran into here.
1: There's also a chance you can't turn in the quest because it's not the right time of day.
0: right? Which, is, which might be why you're running into, like, you can't see those objectives on the map, because it might be the right time of wrong time of day. It could be the wrong weather. It could be, you might have the wrong person in your party. Like, Shulk, only Shulk can handle this item and stuff like that.
1: Yes, and then also there was the aspect of, god, I'm trying to remember now. It was just on the tip of my head.
0: There's a lot of quests, and we could go on and talking about it. We don't want to. There's a lot of que- there's a lot of goddamn quests here. Yeah. All right, let's move on. So
1: there is another beast tribe. We talked about him, Hode Hode. But I, I, I'm going to dive just a little bit deeper. I, I wonder if the game's going to acknowledge this aspect of inherent manifest destiny within the world of Bionis that there are a certain few races who have the right to invade, freely traverse, encounter others without repercussion or extraining or straining existing treaties. For as an example, I'll say say the nopon had an existing policy of detente with the hode. I'm gonna call them Hode. I don't know if they're hode. Sure. I'm just gonna call them Hode, right? I'm, I'm a white guy. Jungle Jawas. Yeah, the jungle Jawas, the Nopon have, like, a, a policy of detente. You stay on that side of the jungle, we stay over here. Would enlisting Ha mercenaries to go murder them be a breach of that understanding and incite a wider conflict? I, I don't know, like, this game when we were talking about the igna from Satoral marsh they are intelligent they are kidnapping people and interrogating them they are having a dialogue they have their settlements you know so there there's this existing dichotomy of races that Homs see as deserving of mutual respect and not auto murder and then there is a list of races that Homs attack on site and execute without prejudice. So I'm really intrigued by that. I wonder if we're ever going to address it. Like, there's going to be some twist later in the game where, like, eight different varieties of beastmen show up and be like, guess what? You are the villain, you piece of shit. We invented the mech on because you wouldn't stop murdering us without prejudice.
0: Couldn't say. I hadn't thought about it, yeah.
1: It's something... It's always easy to, the the monster race in every video game, it's always easy to just go kill him and not ask questions, but those games that do kind of propose that thought process, I enjoy those moments, so just something to think about. I also just barely defeat Breezy Zolos with Charla Dunbin, and Melia. I had like 14 HP left with Sharla. The other two were dead and I delivered a thunder bullet.
0: Thunder bullet. Fire.
1: Straight to its face and killed it. Were you able to take out Breezy Zolos?
0: That was the quest where a level 98 Tyrannosaurus Rex kept joining the fight. It took me several attempts to get it down.
1: Same here, it had the exact same problem until I made Charla my party leader and just went and sat in a quarter and had her shoot the, the objective over to her in the corner. Then the dinosaur wouldn't patrol into my region. Brilliant. That's all I got for side quests.
0: So we speak with the chief. His name's Dunga. He has a long pink beard and a headdress. He's kind of Buddha-like. Um, he's interested in granting a safe passage uh, to the Erith Sea, which is where Melia is from and where we suspect the big tower um, prison island is located. Shulk shares his vision and he says that he saw that Melia and himself were fighting together at the Bayana's head. The chief acknowledges this vision and says, well, that means all of Makna Forest is at stake. He gives no specifics about that and summons a Nopon warrior to assist us. Hiropon Ricky they really drum this up. First thing that happens is he this creature bounces off the bodies of every single party member I have. There's a crowd of Nopons surrounding us, and they're all raining mushrooms down onto him as he dangles from the off the pier, because that's where he ended up when he did his rollerball thing. The music is quirky, and it, the whole the whole scene is just dopey and cartoonish. And the scene ends with the creature mugging the camera with a blushy, kawaii, winky face. May I introduce Herapon Ricky! Watch out.
1: Get me! To you!
0: Right in the... this
1: I thought that they were throwing mushrooms at us in a sign of disapproval that Shulk did a volleyball set, and I can't remember who was it melia did she spike the did she spike ricky like a volleyball into the floorboard
0: post-production tyler here i'm going to give you the play-by-play of this no abuse because well i guess it's that important uh, so ricky descends from the top of the tree down to the center gathering area bounces straight off Ryan's face, who collapses to the ground, bounces off Dunbin's arm, who bats it away into Sharla, It lands on Charlotte's chest, who bats it away to Melia. Melia does a a volleyball serve in which Ricky pops up into the air like a volleyball. It's going to land on Shulk, and he sets it up into the air. Ryan, who is now incensed, decides he is going to leap up into the air and spike it into the ground, and so he does. I don't remember. Things were happening so fast. Yeah, I think
1: they're throwing mushrooms at us in disapproval, not in celebration of Riki.
0: The team talks about making plans with Riki, but they don't talk to Ricky about it. They just talk about him like they don't know he's standing there. First thing he does is he asks us to buy him equipment. Friends, help Riki get ready. You want us to get equipment for you? Ricky's friend, right? Hum hum clever. This... Guy is totally unprepared for the role, and the uh, the Nopon elder is just kind of assigning him uh, this duty here, it kind of feels like. Sharla uh, asks herself, is Amir, did we just suddenly become Nopon mercenaries? Is it just me, or did we suddenly become Nopon mercenaries? We have a main story quest to collect Ricky's armor, which is astonishing. I do not like babying my new party member like this, but I am unable to decline this quest. I mean, imagine if Ryan or Dunbin pulled this shit before they joined our party, <laughs> you know? We don't have
1: Dixon to make custom badass gear for this stupid little nopon.
0: <laughs> yes. Uh, right. Uh, Ricky says he was selected the hero pawn because of the chief's instinct. I call that instinct into question. Uh, likewise, Ricky owes the village money. Oh, Ricky owe lots of monies to village. If Ricky defeat Dino Beast, village promised to forget my debts. And this is all kind of stupid. Ricky joins the party. Ricky is an orange creamsicle colored nopon with brown almond shaped eyes, rosy apple cheeks, and a cat or rabbit like snout. He has a shock of orange hair with fuchsia tips. He stands maybe three feet tall. His egg shaped body wears a colorful jacket with teal, blue and white with red accents. The jacket exposes a belly of a lighter shade of orange that features a brown cross shaped My Little Pony cutie mark or maybe it's an enormous cartoonish scar. He wears a leather traveler's backpack featuring two canteens and a holster for his weapon, which is a club always bearing a face. The nopon's arms are almost completely vestigial, but nopons have surprising control and dexterity over their long, floppy ears, such that Ricky's ears are strong enough to grasp and swing his melee weapon and can even allow the nopon to fly for brief periods. The club is as big as he is, and in its holster, the face of the club stands up above Ricky's head and bobs around as he walks on his two dainty appendages I can barely call legs. Finally, Ricky does not have feet, and does is not wear pants
1: listeners out there if you could just thank tyler for going through the effort to produce all of that content i darted maybe five words into doing something similar and said no fuck it i don't <laughs> i don't want to be doing this right now now recently you and i played 10 hours of triangle strategy and we agreed that one of us was going to take one route and the other was going to take another so that we can see all flavors of the game in this case when it comes to Riki, I chose the route of not using him and not interacting with him, and I forced Tyler to do the opposite. Just just kidding. Tyler, did you play as Riki?
0: I didn't play as Ricky, but he was in my party for the rest of the chapter minus the minus the final encounter.
1: I didn't even do that. Ricky did not make his way into my party whatsoever.
0: Oh, well, you missed some wonderful battle quotes of his like this.
1: Ricky is scared, but hero,
0: so no lose. And this.
1: Everyone do good. Many sacrifices Tyler has made for our entertainment pleasure on this episode. Oh, yeah, and you I, bet, And man. I'm glad to have not partaken I, mm-hmm. I will later for for the integrity of the podcast i will subject myself to ricky but i was just in a i was in a flow i was in a rhythm where i was enjoying my time and i did not want to sully the experience with bullshit
0: <laughs> new home friends meet this year's legendary upon ricky ricky live to serve. let me tell you a little about his kit because his kit's pretty interesting um he has a bleed he has a poison He has a root. I think he has a paralyze. He has a single target strike and his special ability is a steal. He uh, steals an item. Um, So you have an additional item that you get at the end of a battle. He's a debuffer with some physical stuff and a
1: thief. The only time I used Shu Shoo in Xenogears was at the very end of the game when we fought the giant orbs. He soaked damage and did some bullshit But beyond that, I did not use Choo Choo once. It's fine. But I'll probably have to, you know, I'm taking this game a little bit more as a exploratory adventure. So I will incorporate Riki at some point. So finally, as our party concludes all of their business in the forest, you know, Tyler's got any other side quests he wants to wrap up. I did a majority of them before meeting Riki. But I'm tired of talking about side quests. Yeah, we're done. We're out of the we're side quests. We're done with Riki. We're done with side quests. We're getting to the real, back into the the main uh, course here. So we track down and confront the big Telethia, the one Melia has been hunting. The Telethia absorbs the ether from the surrounding area we are looking at a desolate gray husk of life the exact opposite of the lush vibrant jungle forest that we've been enjoying the last few hours it's called the decayed forest yes and that gives us a little bit more clarity on that ether deficiency that Charlotte diagnosed melia with earlier it, we've now have a mechanic that explains that. The fight as we get into our battle with the giant, is it Leon or Le- Leon Telethia?
0: leone leone mm. l-e-o-n-e telethia the, the leona telethia <laughs> oh awesome don't stare directly at me for too long Hmm. i'd buy that skin yeah exactly we called this the hydra in the beginning but it turns out it's a telethia it's a different kind of telethia it doesn't look like the ones we saw earlier this one is like a beast it's got it's a quadruped it has three heads so it's kind of like a Cerberus variation of of the telethias we saw earlier predominantly blue and green but has a ring of yellow balls of light that encircle its torso uh
1: the fight seems unwillable because of its ability to heal from drawing ether from the land so not only do we have the see the future thing that shulk can disenchant but we also have the absorb the healing that you can granted it already has sucked all the life out of the land but there's apparently more it's got a nice reservoir there of unseen energy to some degree But Shulk perseveres and tells the others not to give in and that there will be a way that the Monado will provide a way. Melia does some inner mind dialogue about whether this is actually something that... Like, where does this confidence come from? Where does this boy get off like, just saying, hey, we can do it? Because she's felt fairly hopeless up against it. She's seen her allies fall before it. So uh, this, this young kid with his... Uh, Weep sword is kind of not making total sense to her, right? Mm-hmm. But there is a tactic that Shulk has in mind. We we confront the battle in t- the first stage. We uh, disenchant the telethia every chance we get. I kind of got myself into a little bit of a pickle in that I cast the the purge too early before he had actually put the buff on himself. So Mm -hmm. then he puts the buff on himself, and now I cannot hit it to generate the energy for the Monado to have the ability to purge it again. So I'm whipping all of my strikes, gaining no no Monado energy, and I
0: can't purge it. I got a workaround for you about that.
1: Well, yeah, luckily Shulk has the ability to sacrifice his health to gain Monado energy. Oh. So that's what I had to do.
0: That's not what I did.
1: Oh, okay. Well, you. What's your workaround?
0: Uh, I did not play Shulk, and so Shulk just used (laughs) Purge correctly
1: oh gotcha yeah yeah i assumed going into the fight that this was just an innate ability that they had but no it is actually a buff he gives himself that you can track on the top and you need to cast it on him then so that was my fuck up there but you know it is what it is we got there so the second time around the telethia heals you do pretty much the same thing but the story kicks in where uh shulk says for everyone to do all of their to unite their powers and use all their biggest shit all at once and so melia once again summons her giant holy beam at the same moment that uh shulk is going hard ryan's doing ryan stuff you know everybody's doing what they got and the the idea is that yes the telethia absorbs ether but Is there a limit to what it can absorb? And sure enough, it takes in too much energy all at once and explodes. It implodes. Implodes, yes. So that's the fight. Are there any other observations you had about this encounter? So Melia's faith in us is growing after seeing Shulk's competency and his ability to wield the Monado. She's not questioning as much, and she thanks us for our service. We return to... Frontier Village with her mission being complete. We talked to the Chieftain again, and it seems like at this moment we're about to part ways. Our original party is going to go on their way to the Aerith Sea. But I don't know what impetus there is for Melia joining us on this. I forgot.
0: As thanks for assisting her in destroying the Telethia, she has decided that she will be our guide to the Aerith Sea. Where are you going anyways? Well, we're looking to get to Prison Island. Oh, I've seen Prison Island, but I've never been there before.
1: One of the big story beats is that you can't just go to Prison Island. You need permission from the Emperor. And that involves going to the High Antia homeland, I, I suppose, right? Mm-hmm. We need permission from the Emperor to go there, and apparently Melia is going to get us an inch.
0: I would like to repay you for your help. Permit me to act as your guide to Eryth Sea.
1: Now, again, we haven't said what Melia is. They, They call her Bird Lady in Nopon World. I call her Bird Lady because of some astute observations of mine. But also, she refers to us as Homs all the time Huh, right she's clearly drawing that line herself so the fact that she's going to introduce us to the high antia emperor and get us access and be kind of our go-between and guide she's obviously kind of projecting out there that she's more in line with that society than ours
0: and ricky's coming with too uh dunga the village elder says uh, he has a new prophecy that the Heropon will further his legend by assisting these Homs in their adventure to get to Prison Island. And Ricky protests. He says, I didn't agree to this. And then the Elder says, well, it's the prophecy. The prophecy? You just made that up. That makes me mad. And it doesn't matter. Guess what? We meet Ricky's wife and his, I don't know, 10 little Nopon babies. Wife and children. Ricky, how old are you? Ricky have 40 years. (laughs) Oh friends look puzzled he's the oldest in the party um we meet his wife she's cute her name is oka okay she's a peach colored nopon that also has a shock of red hair the reason
1: R- ricky is actually being told to go on this quest is because all of those kids eat way too much and are running up his bill so uh ricky is apparently a player <laughs> he's got big <laughs> He's got big debts and bigger balls.
0: <laughs> yeah, they
1: are. Yeah, maybe he's got big balls and bigger debts. If I'm, for being honest, if uh, his money issues are the biggest problem he has right now, not the procreation.
0: Yeah, right? Oh yeah. So the prophecy was like, you're you're still owed debts to me. Why don't you go? You know, get some fame and fortune, and bring it back, so you know I can release you from this, <laughs> from these string of prophecies that I've decided you're going to play a role in.
1: And apparently, the Nopon Society is not socialist or what's the word communal in nature, because the kids are actively screaming that they're hungry, and it's all upon Riki to solve that problem for them. There is not a community well-being program for these children if Riki doesn't fight these kids will starve
0: but we will shower folks with mushrooms to in protest of their bad behavior
1: (laughs) yes i'm i'm getting we talked about meritocracy in the triangle strategy review i'm getting a strong meritocracy feeling in nopon world Mm-hmm.
0: Ricky's got to prove himself, but he's obnoxious. I'm
1: going to keep calling it Nopon World because it does feel a little bit like Disneyland, like a attraction of sorts, not a place I'm supposed to take
0: seriously. Dunga says, well, in order to get there, um, you'll go up to the top of the tree to Apex Lake, which is not a lake. It is a pond and they will take us there. And we don't know what that means exactly yet. How are we going to get to this Aerith Sea? So we visit Apex Lake at the top of the tree. A transport guide says they will take us there in a flash of light. Yes, we're ready, get me off of this tree. Uh, in the middle of the lake, a column of water rises up into the heavens, and Melia walks in first, and up she goes. The rest of us follow suit.
1: For this being the home of all Nopon, we do not have a Nopon sanctuary teleport to greater adventure here anywhere in this chapter, do we?
0: Oh, yes, yes, there's,
1: n- there's not a single Nopon teleporter in the Home of the pod.
0: I did not even realize that. Nicely done.
1: We have one final chapter ending scene to toss on and this one is pretty short and not as many reveals as we had before, but I think I can sum it up in just a couple sentences. A woman of the aforementioned bird head variety stands in yet another dark mysterious lab. Bubbles burst within glass tubes and a curled up telethia seemingly pulsates as this new figure
0: looks odd. Right, yeah, this shot is maybe 15 seconds long, no dialogue whatsoever, it's just mood and visuals and not very many and that's what we're left with here yeah yeah so uh we're off to a sea um we've seen the in oh we failed to mention this but we've you know as we navigate this forest jungle if you look up you can see the headdress or the wings or the i don't know enormous moose antlers of bionis and that must be like the basin in which uh The sea is is filled. I guess we're going up there.
1: Yeah. And I'm constantly in this space where I have to look at the map and reorient Like, where the hell am I on the body of this thing? Because I feel like, am I upside down at this point? What am I looking at here?
0: Maybe its back is hunched because that column of water goes straight up. If you look at Bionis, it has wings or something. Yeah. And that's directly above us, so maybe it is more horizontal then.
1: It is not unlike a Xenogear to have some sort of giant uh, apparatus on their back or head that would, in any other space, drag them to the ground and totally fuck up their balance but because uh because they have the power they don't need to worry about it Mm
0: -hmm. yeah we did have a gear that had uh wings coming out of its head didn't we i think that wasn't that uh ellie's uh that was emeraldos
1: oh right 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 yep the the, that had
0: no had no arms had no arms yeah strange center of gravity
1: the nopon progenitor
0: (laughs) oh no (laughs) oh boy That'll do it for this episode. This has been a production of Hero with a Thousand Potions, recorded March 16th, 2022. We have an email, hero with a thousand potions at gmail.com. That's one zero 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 potions. We're also on Discord and Twitter with the handle Hero with a Thousand Pot. It stands for, you know, marijuana. Uh- <laughs> <laughs> Join us for next episode where we're going to cruise the Aerith Sea. If you're if you're playing along with us, you know, we invite you to crush chapter eight before crushing that next episode with us. My rifle is getting hotter. With you and me here, what did you expect? <laughs> Nate, how are you doing tonight? Ah. Uh before satoru
1: march i said march again (laughs) so there's a couple points i'm going to get into here before we get back into our main story because i think this is probably the best place to put it before i i I don't know there's a certain aspect of this i didn't even take notes of because i was so utterly annoyed uh and i'm just gonna say choo-choo that's all i'm gonna say I have no notes. I have no desire to. I have no notes, no desire to engage. All I'm going to say is choo-choo and be done with it, right? So, Malia. I, I fuck up the name every time. This is where you're going to notice that having two channels is amazing because you can just shut me up through all of that. It's great. <laughs>